1: Thanks for downloading the Let's Talk About Suicide podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has lost a loved one to suicide, and we'll be focusing on the LGBTIQA communities. As the name suggests, this podcast discusses issues around suicide, which can be a tough subject to talk about, but it's important that we do. We want to provide support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and let people talk about it openly. In all of our discussions we'll be conscious to use appropriate language. Your self-care is important. And if listening to this podcast raises issues for you, we'd encourage you to contact one of the following services in Australia. QLife on 1800 184 527. The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. Or Lifeline on 13 11 14. You can find all of these contact details on the Joy website at joy.org.au slash letstalk. This Joy podcast is produced in association with Support After Suicide, a program of Jesuit social services that provides support to people who are bereaved by suicide, and Switchboard Victoria, which provides peer-driven support services for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and gender diverse, intersex, queer and asexual people, their families, allies and communities. We would also like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wundery people of the Kulin Nation, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging and to extend our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are listening. If you are listening to this podcast anywhere in Australia, you are on Aboriginal land. Always was, always will be. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk About Suicide. My name is Hamish Blunk, and I'm your host for this podcast. Also guiding you through each of our episodes are two wonderful experts. Joe Ball, who was the CEO of Switchboard Victoria. They are also an LGBTIQA community leader, and use the pronouns they, them. And Dr Louise Flynn, who is a psychologist and also the manager of support after suicide. We'll also hear from four people who we talk to about their experiences with a loved one who died by suicide. Bo, Lara, Peter, and Alice. This episode is all about the one-year anniversary. When you're grieving any death, the one-year anniversary can be a very upsetting time. But with a death by suicide, there are other things that can make it very traumatic in different ways. As you'll hear from Louise a bit later, what she has seen when counselling people is that planning for the anniversary can help a lot, and sometimes the anniversary itself is not as intense as the lead-up. Ingrid died about nine months ago, and already Lara is thinking about the one-year anniversary and what plans she might put in place.
2: Her anniversary is on the 10th of the 9th of April, Um, so that kind of date is just looming in my mind, and I'm trying to work out what I'm going to need around that time, sort of be organised. So... I will most likely I imagine spend some time with Ingrid's dad on that day and her friends I will put in um, therapy sessions around that time um, maybe let you like let my lecturers know at uni that I might be off that week um, I'm but I don't really yeah I don't know because this is the first time it's happened um, Yeah, it just feels like feels
3: like it's going to be quite difficult.
1: Here's psychologist and manager of support after suicide, Louise Flynn.
3: Many people approach the the anniversary, first anniversary in particular, with with a sense of like, as Lara said, looming. There's a sense of dread about it. What tends to happen is, even you know, a month or two months out from it, people can start to have a sense, of, you know, attention a sense of tension as it um as it comes up you know dreading the day and what tends to happen for many people is that they'll find themselves thinking back to the last year at this point you know this was happening and they were still here so it's it's very difficult sort of thinking this time last year you know this is what we were doing and they were still here and so as the, as the anniversary approaches, in a sense, it's like, you know, last year I, it, it was innocent. I didn't know what was going to happen on that day last year. But this year, I know what happened. Th- that experience is very difficult um, to deal with. And I think that that's a very strong sort of experience. It happens for many people in the lead up to the anniversary. There's a real sense of, of dread about it.
1: And could it also be linking it back to the guilt um, episode that we did, like thinking about, oh, well, this happened two weeks before the death, so if I did that differently, then it would have been a different outcome. Does that play into it as well?
3: It certainly could for some people, Hamish, absolutely. The sense of, like, if I'd done this or that at that point, or if I'd known then what I know now, maybe I could have done something different. So I think the guilt or sense of responsibility can reawaken again, um, which is very troubling and unsettling.
1: The actual date of the one-year anniversary can cause a lot of anxiety, but there are other triggers around that time that can be troubling. Here's Jo.
0: Also, because the anniversary is a time of the year, like literally a time of the year, you get other sort of um, environmental triggers, like you start to feel the temperature of the actual time of the year that it was, and maybe even some of the sights and smells like the trees and, and I think those things that we often don't recognize overtly, but it's something that's happening definitely subconsciously as well. And all that's happening where you're really getting this sense of like the day being replayed on all elements uh, with it being particularly if there's annual events or annual sort of festivals or things around that, that does it. But I think there's also something really about climactically
3: mm. of the feelings mm. that can really start to really trigger it. Mm. That's right. There's certain smells, like if it's spring or, or summer, a hot day. Or, and then there's, um, you know, as you said, events like the grand final or the other sort of events that feel then connected with the death, then that can be really unsettling as well. There are, you know, as we've said before, there can be such high expectations of what life will be like after the anniversary. So the lead up to it is, you know, can feel um, very difficult and we can, you know, talk about the day itself and the planning for that. But there's a sense too of expectation about how someone might feel after that, that they might start to feel better. That's not always the case.
0: There's something around suicide as well that can happen for people is that anniversaries can be uncertain dates and not to go into that too much but there's sometimes people don't know exactly when people died and I think that can cause undoubtedly a level of distress because you're sort of unsure of what day you are remembering them on and I think that uncertainty creates anxiety and if that's something that's in your life as someone who's Someone you lost, there's an uncertain date. I think just knowing that and maybe thinking about how you're going to deal with that, perhaps even choosing a date that is the anniversary in your own mind, might, might help if that's possible for you.
1: Earlier, Lara talked about what she might plan for the day on the one-year anniversary. Like what sort of things she might do on the day, who she might be with, maybe putting in other strategies to help, like extra counselling. Louise has counselled many people and she believes planning is a good idea.
3: It's good to give some thought to what you might want to do on that day. And I think sometimes it's good to have a few different plans, like a plan A and a plan B. But I guess a starting point sometimes can be it's reflecting on what's important about that day. So each, you know, each relationship with a person is unique. So what's important for me on that day to um, mark this uh, date and then it's also good to discuss it with other people who are also going to be uh, feeling it on that day and there might be something you know personal for yourself that you want to do and then there might be a way to um, actually share that day with others who also deeply care and love the person as I said coming up with a few different plans um, so that when You wake up on the day, you've got real options ahead and then you can mark that day in the way that best suits you.
0: A reason why I think that planning is important is because I think it's important to think about your own needs and put them at the forefront because I think what what can happen is you can get caught up in what other people are organising and planning, whereas I think Um, They might be things that you want to be involved in, but I think you've got to start the... I think it's really useful to start the process of thinking through what you need first and then applying that to what other people are organising, because otherwise I think you can sort of feel like, oh, well, this is the official event or this is the thing, so I'm just going to go there regardless of whether it connects with me. You might be able to go to the collective event, but you'll also be able to do the thing that's
3: important to you. Yeah, that's right. And I've heard over and over again that when people do really think it through and do some planning, the day is not as bad as people expect it to be, that the lead-up is often um, quite a bit worse than the day itself.
1: Alice also took a lot of time to think about the day and make some plans. Although Alice is talking about the six-month anniversary here, she echoes what Jo and Louise have said, that making plans was helpful for her. But so was having a different plan, or allowing the plans to change depending on how she felt on the day.
4: But so I sort of made um, elaborate plans to, um, you know, I thought about writing her a letter and then, um, like, taking it down to the river um, and kind of putting it in the water and letting it dissolve. Like, to be perfectly honest, I googled you know, things to do to honor an anniversary of someone's suicide. So I had made all these really complicated plans, sort of like this three-day extravaganza, and then it sort of got got quite close to, you know, a few days before the actual six-month mark. And I was just like, actually, I think what I would really like to do is just, like, set aside a couple of hours in the evening to just have some quiet time, um, like, sit a bit with a picture that I had of her, um, uh, listen to a mixtape that she made me, um, and just, like, make some deliberate space, I guess, to, like, think about her and, like, um, you know, like, what I loved about her and what was beautiful about the connections that we had, um, and that's what I ended up doing, um, And I think that was probably um, much more helpful for me because it was also it was very tiring. It kind of took me back to a little bit those kind of earlier grief emotions where it was very exhausting physically and and mentally um, to be in that space, which then when I was finished and feeling pretty low and and sad and, um, you know, my housemates were in the house. And I kind of had checked in and made sure someone was going to be around. So I kind of went out and had a cup of tea and got a hug and um, that was sort of, and then went to bed. Um, And that was, that was quite helpful for me. And I I think that helped me feel connected to her, which was what I really wanted.
0: For Alice, what I hear is that planning is as important as actually what you do on the day because she talks about having these elaborate plans but then abandoning them, not abandoning them but I guess choosing other options and I think the process that she had of just thinking about what she wanted to do was just so important to give yourself that time to think it through and to realise that you might, that there's no one way There's, there's multiple ways that you can do it infinite ways perhaps so allow yourself to just take that time and think it through and then perhaps change it because maybe putting a letter in a river isn't going to be appropriate on the day because maybe you just don't want to leave. So having those multiple
3: plans and just giving yourself the time to think it through. What Alice is also talking about there is what what she wanted in the day, which was a sense of connection with Ingrid. So she was really clear about what she needed from the day and how she could do that. So I think, you know, that's a really good example. The other thing I think that's really good about planning and preparing for the day is that um, then you feel like you're engaged with the day, you've got some control and some say about what's going to happen. It's like a year ago you didn't have any say um, about what happened and you know this tragedy happened, and you couldn't control it, you couldn't stop it. Um, but being able to actually say, "This is what I'm going to do. This is what's important to me," um, gives that sense of you can choose and you can have some say about what happens.
1: Let's hear Bo's experience of the first year anniversary of his partner Jeff's death.
5: For the first year, the first anniversary, um, so the anniversary of Jeff's death. I really didn't think it would, uh, it was going to affect me. I just thought, yes, I know this is the day um, that he he died, um, but it's just another day, and I, I really. But it, because I knew that it was a day, it was when that day came, and I thought I was going to be okay. Um, I knew it was coming so it made me think more about him more than I would usually. So and I got really upset, so and I think I I don't know, I think I spent the day in bed crying or something, so now I um prepare myself a little bit more so I maybe I think I, I think I've gone over to his parents or something, um and had dinner with them on one of one of his birthdays or anniversaries, so and it's better to be around people than being on my own because I know that even though I could be okay, um, I know that I, I should be aware that I might not be. So <laughs> one of the counselling group sessions, yeah, I had... I remember the facilitator saying, you know, the first year is always the hardest or something, but every year after gets better. I think, you know, you saw people that were still coming to these groups after eight years or whatever. And so obviously, you know they're still dealing with their grief and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm always going to think about him. I'm always going to get sad sometimes. and I'm always going to grieve, but I think it, it does get better.
1: The thing that stands out for me in what Bo said was that on the first anniversary, he tried one strategy and found that that probably wasn't the best thing for him. So he then made different strategies for the other anniversaries. There's no formula or right way to do this. Here's Louise.
3: People, um, you know, on the anniversary and also birthdays and other important dates might want to try some different things each year. And it is important to say too that uh, the first anniversary is very important and some of the subsequent anniversaries are really important too, given the importance of the person, you know, in your life. um uh, it's not only the first anniversary that you'll want to give some attention to and so this there can be just many many different things to do it might it might be you know it might be visiting the grave if there's a gravesite or or visiting some special place you know that has meant something um, to you being with certain people um, having a meal together um, or doing some other activity are all sorts of different ways but there's It's sort of reflecting on you, what you want to do and that person and what's important. Um, But as I said, it's also remembering that the first anniversary isn't the only one, that for many people they will want to mark and to do something uh, in uh, memory of the person.
1: Bo mentioned there that each year is easier. Is that an accurate way of portraying most people's experience. I mean, I know for me, the first year was one type of difficulty, but the next year was a different type of difficulty, a different type of grief.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, there can be, and certainly for Bo, he's, he's described that somehow it felt easier or in some way. For some other people, it it's not quite so straightforward. So yes, there's a certain sort of difficulty in the first year, but other dates and the anniversaries can also have their own Sort of unique difficulty. It does change, you know. Many people talk about the first year being really. I think for a lot of people, it is just about getting through, uh, living through that first year. And um, you know, it's a somewhat simplistic to say it this way, but for many people, the second year is sort of like this is life now, and the person isn't in it. So it's really quite a difficult period of adjusting and grieving kind of seeing really what life is now and that this person isn't in it and they're not coming back it's like what does that mean and how can I live my life now without them so there's a different sort of difficulty for some people it might uh, get easier in in different ways but for others it presents different sorts of challenges and issues to be aware of
0: and you might appear differently to different to people which might think that you as in you know we've talked about this in other episodes but like straight afterwards, you might spend a lot of time crying, you know, in the direct aftermath. And a year later, you may not be doing that. And so you might appear differently to other people. So they think you're better because you're not in that same kind of, as you said, Louise, a survival state. But that doesn't mean that what's happening inside of you has, it's transformed into something else from survival into maybe a deep sense of grief or loss um it's transformed and it may have even transitioned but I think a lot of people as you said Hamish it's just different for them it's not um profoundly better that's not to say that it can't be profoundly better because I I think it's great if it is profoundly better for people that's fantastic so I don't want to lay that out but I I also want to say to those who are definitely in their second year that it's okay if it's not
3: you know, some people can get a sense of equilibrium after some time. They feel like they can sort of manage day-to-day life. And the anniversary or birthdays can really intensify the grief again so people can worry, why am I feeling so terrible? It feels like it just how it was in the beginning. So people can be kind of worried and also just be, again, dealing with a sort of intensity of grief. And it's just important to say that unfortunately that's pretty normal that it can really reawaken refresh some of that very intense pain and longing and difficulty of the person being gone yeah and there's also kind of an issue just with the passage of time so after a year it's sort of like the way you speak about um the person dying changes so it's like it's a year ago so the, the language you use. And sometimes sometimes people can find New Year's difficult, the first New Year's, because then it becomes last year they died. So that sense of the passage of time, those things can be quite hurdles to get through in the way that um, the loss of someone is experienced and then spoken about. And it feels like, you know, sometimes people think, I don't want to go into another year because it really highlights that they're not going to be in this year. So all those, those subtle things can really have quite an effect on people.
1: You've heard from Alice, Lara and Beau about how they plan for special occasions and anniversaries and their experiences with that. But it is not something that you need or should do alone. Getting support and talking with people can be very helpful too. This is Beau, again, sharing what he has learned after a number of anniversaries and special occasions.
5: His birthday, you know, I always know when that's coming up and I know that I'm going to have a, a bit of a... Yeah, well, in the first year, it was really hard. I think... Um, I can't remember what I did, whether I shut myself away and just cried, but um, I know that I that was hard. In um, the anniversary anniversary of his, of his death as well, um, <clears throat> but, you know, the, those, are uh, were, well, still are, I guess, triggers for me, but it's now being aware of those triggers and knowing, okay, this is potentially going to upset me, so what do I need to do to keep myself, you know safe and and um uh and not get to a point where i'm you know a complete mess and so that's where you know having somebody to talk to or be with you um is is really good for me so yeah yeah i didn't for a long time though do um the right things and um but now i know that how important it is to just reach out when you need help. So I I think
1: the things that um, Bo mentions there kind of sum up nicely what we've kind of talked about today in just being aware of what might trigger you around those particular events and also having some kind of plan in place to keep you and the people around you safe. I think that's kind of the main messages we're sending today, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think we've had a really strong message around the anniversaries really matter and also unexpected anniversaries or events can creep up on you as well Um, but they matter and that you you benefit from planning Um, not that planning means that you can mitigate the despair or grief that you feel in fact you that's probably absolutely sort of unavoidable but planning can help the day be easier perhaps easier or at least not as surprising, distressing or surprising.
3: Yeah, I guess to summarise, it's really difficult to um, avoid actually the distress and renewed sense of grief that an anniversary or some other special occasions bring. But many people do find it really helpful to plan and also to make it unique to you and to your relationship with that person. It might be personal and it also might be something that you can really share and the other thing, as I've said before, is that what, uh, what I've been told over and over is the day itself is often just not nearly so bad as the, the, the lead-up to it, the sense of dread that can um, be there as you're moving towards an anniversary. But preparing, thinking it through, that's the best way to go.
1: Anniversaries are hard no matter what. But doing some preparation might mean that the actual day is not as bad as you anticipate. One of the key strategies we talked about in this episode is planning, but it's also important to have different plans and give yourself space to change those plans on the day if what you're doing doesn't feel right. Talking to your community about what you're planning can be a good way to make sure you have support on and around the day, and if you're seeing a counsellor, organising a few extra sessions is a good self-care strategy. In the next episode of Let's Talk About Suicide, we are going to talk about how you can support a person who's lost someone to suicide. Remembering that even though you are grieving yourself, it is likely that you're supporting other people during this time. So please join me for that episode. But before you go, it's that part of the episode where I share with you some things that the people we interviewed with Lived Experience did to help them with their grief. Some things they did for their self-care. There are some practical and helpful things that you might consider doing right now or maybe just store in the back of your mind for later to help you through your bereavement. This one's from Alice.
4: I feel like having a creative outlet can be really important. Um, And I don't think of myself as a creative person, like I'm not an artsy person. Um, So when I... When it was suggested to me to try something creative for self-care while I was grieving, um, I fell back on my tween obsession with writing angsty poetry and um and in all seriousness it was quite helpful for me to sit down of an evening and just write down what I was feeling um in a kind of creative way I think that was really helpful for me and also then kind of in the weeks and months that followed to look back on I guess how I had been thinking and see what was changing in my experience of grief, was kind of helpful. I got a sense that I was feeling better or I was recovering, even though I still felt pretty bad. Um, but I think that creative outlet, no matter what that looks like for someone, I think that can be really helpful. I think what was different about a creative outlet as opposed to like an interpersonal or a kind of talking thing was it was really personal and it was really internal so kind of similar to seeing a counselor i guess i didn't have to like censor what i was feeling or what i was thinking um i could really process it for myself a little bit and i think that was helpful for me especially kind of early on where some of the things that i was thinking or feeling felt kind of scary to me and to process them in a creative way or just think about them in a different way or just get them out of my head, I think just being able to get those thoughts and feelings out of my head was really helpful. And by putting them down on paper, um, I felt like I was getting a little bit of healthy distance from them sometimes.
1: You can download the other episodes in this series from joy.org.au slash talk or look for them in your podcast feed. And you can also download the full-length interviews with the people who have shared their own stories. Thanks to our amazing expert panel, Joe Ball from Switchboard Victoria, and Louise Flynn from Support After Suicide. And also to the people we interviewed with lived experience, Alice, Beau, Lara and Peter. Let's Talk About Suicide is presented and produced by me, Hamish Blunk, editorial assistance by Joy Program Director, Rachel Tyler-Jones, and technical help from Jack Trainor. Joy Production Manager. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us at, letstalk at joy.org.au. But if you need to talk to somebody right now or are in crisis, please contact one of the following services in Australia. Please call QLife on 1800 184 527 The Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467 Or Lifeline on 13 11 14 You can find all of these contact details at joy.org.au slash talk.